0: basin and beyond. Damascuscitizens.org For Radio Catskill, this is Rosie Starr. Welcome to Farm and Country, locally produced radio about rural life in the Catskills and the Delaware River Valley. On today's show, Keith Hubbard's Star Talk highlights Arcturus the brightest star in the northern, kite-shaped constellation of Booties. Stephanie Phillips shares more of her conversation with Ryan Ehrlein at Meyer Century Farm in Jeffersonville, New York. Hannah Walters from the Pennsylvania Beef Council greets us at the Wayne County Ag Day back in May, and Jeffrey Rose from Wild Yarrow Farm has suggestions for late June, Early July gardening. All of that coming up on today's Farming Country. But first, news headlines from NPR. Live
1: from NPR News in Washington, I'm Noor Rahm. Russian President Vladimir Putin is condemning an uprising by the head of a pro Kremlin mercenary force against his defense ministry. NPR's Charles Maines reports Putin is calling the move a betrayal that risks undermining Russia's war efforts in Ukraine.
2: In a televised address to The Nation, Putin said those who had organized the military uprising had betrayed the country and would answer for their crimes. Putin also called on fighters taking part to avoid a fatal tragic mistake and end the rebellion. While mentioning no names, Putin's address was squarely aimed at Yevgeny Prigozhin, the head of the Wagner mercenary force who was formally charged with inciting an armed revolt by Russia's Federal Security Services hours prior. The criminal charge against Prigozhin came after he accused Russia's top brass of carrying out lethal attacks on Wagner fighters and called on his mercenaries to remove Russia's defense minister by force. Prigozhin claims his fighters currently control several military installations in the key southern Russian city of Rostov-on-Don. Authorities say they've launched an anti-terrorist operation to restore order. Charles mains NPR News, Moscow.
1: President Biden says his administration is closely monitoring the situation and working with allies. Meanwhile, Ukraine continues its attempt to retake territory seized by Russia in the past year. Mark Hensian is a retired Marine colonel and a senior advisor at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. He says Ukrainian troops face many
0: challenges. To capture terrain,
2: the Ukrainians have to leave
0: their trenches and uh, capture their uh, opposite trenches. To do that, they will be using artillery to suppress um, the Russians so that the Russians can't shoot back. They'll be using engineers to cross the various obstacles. And he'll be using uh, long-range fires to try to keep the Russians from
2: reinforcing the threatened areas so they can get through before the Russians uh, can respond.
1: He says there reports Ukraine has recaptured several villages, but there's been no major breakthrough. A powerful storm system is moving eastward after tornadoes struck Texas and Wyoming this week. NPR's Amy Held reports. A tornado killed several
0: people in the Texas town of Matador this week. Billy Campbell lives there.
2: Unreal moments, seeing everything flatten.
0: Today, severe thunderstorms from another system are moving across Iowa, Missouri, and Illinois. Tomorrow, they're forecast to hit parts of Indiana, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Ohio. Yesterday, the system did tornado damage in Wyoming, flipping a bus and empty train cars and injuring multiple people at a mine. Meteorologist Matt Mosher says it was one of the most violent kinds of storms.
3: Anytime you have a storm supercell that lasts, you know, three, four hours, those are very well organized systems and so those are anomalous.
0: By Monday, the system is forecast to reach the East Coast all the way from the Carolinas to New England. Amy Held, NPR News. This is NPR News. This is Rosie Starr. Welcome back to Farm and Country. Coming up on today's show, Stephanie Phillips shares more of her conversation with Ryan Earlwine at Meyer Century Farm. Ryan talks about her Jersey, Holstein, and Black Angus cows. Hannah Walters, Director of Producer Education at the Pennsylvania Beef Council, greets us at the Wayne County Ag Day back in May. Jeffrey Rose from Wild Yarrow Farm has suggestions for late June and early July gardening. But first, here is Keith Hubbard with this week's Star Talk report. Thank you for joining us on Radio Catskill for this week's locally produced Farm and Country.
2: country, I'm Keith Hubbard, and this is Star Talk. Following the handle of the Big Dipper, we can arc to Arcturus to find the constellation Bootes. The name Arcturus comes from the Greek Arcturos, meaning "guardian of the bear." Bootes is a herdsman who is chasing the bears Ursa Major and Minor around the North Star. The stars of Bootes form a distinctive kite shape, with Arcturus at the bottom. The constellation contains four stars with known planets, including one of the best understood planetary systems outside of our own. The star Arcturus is one of the few stars that is bright enough for its color to be apparent. This yellow-orange star is the fourth brightest star in the night sky and lies relatively close to us at 36 light years away. Arcturus is a star at the end of its life and is a red supergiant that is 20 times the diameter of the sun. Arcturus was used to unite two expositions set 40 years apart. Light from Arcturus was used to open the 1933 Century of Progress Exposition in Chicago. The starlight was focused on photoelectric cells, producing a current that turned on the floodlights at the exposition. Arcturus was chosen because the best estimates at the time placed Arcturus at 40 light years away. The starlight that was used to open the 1933 exposition started its journey in 1893, which was the year that Chicago hosted the World's Fair. You can view booties to the east of Ursa Major all summer. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future Star Talk segments, my email address is startalk at farmandcountry.org. For Farm and Country and Star Talk, this has been Keith Hubbard reminding you to keep looking up.
4: for farm and country. I've come out to Jeffersonville today to speak with Ryan Erlewine, owner and manager of Meyer Century Farm, and it's approximately 250
5: cows, did you say? All together, from babies to to milkers. How big is this farm? How many acres? We own, between all of us and my grandparents, we own about 600 acres, but all together we do over 1,000 acres throughout the county on other people's land. That we're oh, I see. So yeah. so you graze your cows other places? We have pastures in actually lots of places where we put our heifers out all summer long.
4: So you have uh, quite a time moving cows around, I guess.
5: <laughs> it's a job. <laughs> but once they're out there for the summer they as long as the weather cooperates and the grass keeps growing they, they uh, do very well out there and we have people that watch over them for us and keep an eye on them so yeah it's a beautiful spot do you
4: have any idea why they chose this it was 200 years ago almost 200 years yeah
5: so our family originally came up from manhattan they had a farm around 110th street and it was getting too crowded <laughs> so they came up here and the first deed we have from up here is from 1837 and wow. uh, we've been here ever since How do you know that? Do you have written records? We have, yeah. It goes back as far as the Manhattan after that. Most of us were from Germany originally, but we have a bit of Wales and United Kingdom in us too. Europe. So. Okay. Um, What generation are you? I'm the seventh generation.
4: You're seventh?
5: Yep. I'm seventh. I have nieces and nephews that are the eighth.
4: That's quite a long. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep.
5: Can you tell our audience where your farm is located? We are located in Jeffersonville, New York, on 112 Earl Myers Road in Jeffersonville, New York. It's about two miles right out of town. So, how many cows do you have? We milk about 110. Well, altogether, we have probably 250. Oh, my from, goodness. From babies all the way up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what kind of
4: animals do you have only cows on the farm or do you have other animals so
5: we just have cows we have a couple different types of cows but it's all cows aside from a couple chickens that run around (laughs) Uh, ryan what kind of cows do you have i have jersey cows which are a smaller breed of cows but they produce a richer milk and that's what i want for making ice cream i want the the butter content for the cream and my parents still have some Holstein cows which they produce a higher volume of milk because they're a bigger breed but their milk just isn't quite as rich and then we have black Angus as well.
4: Those are for beef?
5: Yep. Yep. So you
4: don't mind slaughtering a cow now and then?
5: (laughs) It's all part of life.
4: (laughs) Do you have to take them to a special butcher or
5: slaughterhouse? It all depends on the cow basically we raise them and we give them the best life we can for as long as we can and then it all depends on how we go about selling it it's not one thing specifically it all depends on the person buying the cow where they're located and, and stuff like that so there's a couple factors so it's not like one solid if you're going to sell it commercially
4: it has to be usda approved so i guess that influences where you right. send them for
5: slaughter right so we don't sell meat like we don't sell it by like say the hamburger or the steak we sell it by the cow so like someone could buy a full cow and then they take it and do it they have to
4: find a place to get it butchered right right yeah i know something about that yeah because my son-in-law has a farm and he raises pigs
5: okay yeah it's at the same thing so
4: you know he has to load them up every now and again and take them a long way away to find a, a yeah a butcher or a slaughterhouse yeah Do you have to breed your cows every year to keep the milk
5: coming? So, when it comes to breeding the cows, they do it naturally. They come around, they're just like, uh, actually, they're just like humans as they cycle every 21 days. We have a bull that runs with them. So, they generally have a calf every year to year and a half. It's not like we make them have a calf, like, that's, they're natural. That's how they would do it in the wild. That's how the life of a cow goes. Basically, when they're two years old, they'll have a calf and that's when their milk starts coming. Like I said, they milk for about a year to year and a half before they get pregnant again. And then we dry them off so they don't milk at all for two to three months before they have their next calf. It gives them their whole body rejuvenates and then they come back in with fresh milk after they have their next calf. So they're able
4: to have enough milk for both the calf and for your needs as well?
5: Yeah so actually a calf cannot keep up with a cow so if you don't milk the cow she will get an infection because of the amount that she produces. Now it sounded like you have one bull for all 250 cows? Well the bull runs with the adult cows the milkers In the barn, we have one bull because it's very dangerous to have more than one. So he does the job. And then when they're out on pasture, different pastures might have bulls. But as far as in the barn, when we're working with them, there's one bull. Hmm.
4: He's a busy guy. (laughs) Depends on
5: the the
4: month, I guess. (laughs) But now if you're going to have calves, half of them are going to be
5: males. What are you going to do with those? the male cows we treat them just like we would females when they're born we give them their probiotics and we raise them till they're old enough and then we'll send them to market where someone else will raise them either as steers either as breeding bulls or either as veal calves for veal yeah you don't yeah. see veal very much in the stores no, it's, no it's, it's not a popular thing but as far as being able to take care of them we physically couldn't take care of that many animals and like I said it's dangerous to have too many bulls in one spot so they're territorial they fight yeah they're just like any animal out in the wild they a cow comes in heat and they all want her so they're gonna fight (laughs) (laughs) you know that's just the way it is ever since we were young we were always taught to never trust a bull because they are territorial and they can turn mean quick so you always have to be aware of where they are and what they're doing (laughs) Where do your cows
4: live? I mean, here I'm looking at snow on the ground, (laughs) so how do they manage
5: with that? So in the snow time, we have a freestall barn where they have their own beds. They have food in front of them all the time, water. It's called a freestall because they can walk around throughout the entire barn. In the summertime, when the weather conditions are right, they can go outside. But as of this time of year, they're just like people they don't want to be out in the freezing cold and and wind and stuff too. And it's the same in summertime we have fans in the barn that will keep the flies off them so depending on the weather they're inside. So you have to stock up on
4: hay or something to feed them during the winter.
5: Right you would be amazed at how much cows eat so that's why we do around a thousand acres of land because it takes, it says roughly if you're to graze a cow it takes about two acres to feed a cow during the grazing season so that's from may to october we'll say and then you have to have enough food to feed them all year long because obviously there's no grass growing when it's when it's cold outside so that's where we we spend a lot of our time and energy over the summer harvesting food for them i guess you don't have to mow the lawn (laughs) Oh well, you don't have to mow the hay fields, but or you do mow the hay fields. But the lawn, my mom mows the lawn. Yes.
4: <laughs> <laughs> they must get sick once in a while. What diseases do they get? What
5: do you have to worry about? So the cows, definitely, a pneumonia is a big one in the winter time, and I'd say that's the most threatening to a cow would be the pneumonia. In the summer months pink eye is a big one because of the flies you always have a potential problem with calves with diarrhea and intestinal things which is why we try and give them probiotics right when they're born to give them their gut a a jump start but pneumonia is probably the biggest threat to a cow can you vaccinate the cows against Mm it yep Yeah, so we do. We vaccinate our cows in the winter for pneumonia and in the summer for pink eye. We treat our cows just like we would treat our children when you give them vaccinations to prevent things because you don't want to see them get sick. Brian,
4: if someone in this area wanted to have a cow, one cow, just for milk for the family, is that practical and what would they need to know and what facilities would they
5: need? Well... It all depends on how they would want to do it. People don't realize how much care a cow takes and how much food they eat and how much waste they produce as well. So I guess if someone was super dedicated and wanted to milk a cow twice a day all the time, they could do it. As far as being practical, like I said, it depends on the person, but you're going to have to realize how much food you're going to have to buy for them, where they're manure is going to go, and who's going to be milking that cow twice a day, every single day. (laughs) Ryan,
4: a side product of cattle that you mentioned is manure. So what do you do to turn that into compost, or do you sell it?
5: So what we do is we have, it's called a slurry store, it's a holding tank 750,000 gallon holding tank and our manure goes in that Wait a minute, you said
4: 750,000
5: gallons? That's big Yeah, (laughs) Um, yeah. like I said you would be very surprised at how much a cow eats and how much they, um, (laughs) they poop Manure is one of the best things that you can put back onto your fields as fertilizer so what we do is we hold the manure goes into the storage tank and Two to three times a year, we spread all our fields. Like once the snow's off in the spring, we spread it. After we cut the grass, we try and re-spread it because it gives the grass an extra boost. It has all the nutrients. It's essentially grass going back into the grass. And then again in the fall, we spread it too.
4: So you don't have to let it age like a regular compost?
5: No, actually... If you did that, you'd have miles and miles of manure stacked up. But what we do is we put it back into the fields, and it layers out smooth.
4: So it's, It doesn't burn the grass?
5: No. Nope. Different nope. from chickens? Well, what we have is we have manure spreaders, so it spreads it out evenly throughout the fields. So it's not like you're dropping a, a lot of acidic material in one spot. It spreads it out evenly and gives the um, the fields and the grass a good coat of fertilizer.
4: So now you know what it takes to keep your cows happy and productive. We heard about it from Ryan Earlwine, owner and manager of Meyer Century Farm in Jeffersonville. If you'd like to suggest a local expert for me to interview, email me at stephanie@wjffradio.org. At this has been Stephanie Phillips for Farm and Country.
0: my visit to the Wayne County Agricultural Day on May 5th, here is Hannah Walters from the Pennsylvania Beef Council.
6: I'm Hannah Walters with the Pennsylvania Beef Council. I'm the director of producer education and engagement. So I focus on producer events um, and educating producers. The Beef Council um, is focused on creating demand and driving demand for beef and veal consumption for consumers of all ages throughout Pennsylvania. So um, every time a beef animal is sold, a dollar is collected. 50 cents of that stays at the state level and 50 cents goes to the national level. Um, And then those dollars are used for education, research, science, um, data, things like that. Um, And then today we're presenting the BQA. Um, It's Beef Quality Assurance. It's a program um, that's for producers. Um, It talks and discusses through best management practices um, that you can take back on farm and implement. Um, Some of it may be a review depending on how long you've been a beef producer, Um, but there's always new and upcoming technologies and ways to do things. Um, And We share a little bit of data and background on beef consumption within our area and within the United States. It's also a really great program. It certifies you for three years. And it's a great program really to utilize, to have conversations with consumers as well because they're always wanting to know more and wanting to know you know, how you are educated on the practices that you're doing on the farm. So it's a really great card to have in your back pocket really to discuss with consumers how you're doing things on the farm and why it's important to do those things.
0: Yes, it's very important for consumers to understand where their food comes from. What can you say to them now for food safety precautions? Do you have any advice or any knowledge that you could share right now?
6: Sure. So the BQA program actually focuses, um, a lot of it is a focus on food safety. So we talk about proper injection sites um, and proper cattle handling, low stress um, environments. So that way, whenever we're producing the cattle, it is safe um, and wholesome and the most nutritious product that consumers can consume. So it's a great program really to boost, boost your knowledge and your awareness of how to produce that safe quality beef. Do any of your practices include organic practices? So we don't specifically focus in on any certain practice as far as the way you're doing things, natural, um, organic, things like that. We think that, you know, everybody is entitled to do things the way they want to do them. We just have key management practices regarding actually handling the cattle, um, vaccinations, things like that. Okay, thank you for taking the time to speak with us. Is there anything else you'd like to add? I would just invite everybody, and if you're interested, you can visit Pennsylvania BQA. We travel throughout the state to do these certifications and recertifications um, in the spring and in the fall of each year. So check out our website for more information. And what is your website? It's pabqa.org or the Pennsylvania Beef Council. Thank you so much.
5: Thank you.
0: That was Hannah Walters from the Pennsylvania Beef Council speaking to us at the Wayne County Agricultural Day on May 5th. For Radio Catskill and Farm and Country, it's Rosie Starr back in Kosheckton at Wild Yarrow Farm. It's a friend's birthday, and I'm coming over to get a nice present for her. But in the meantime, I'm... Here with Jeffrey Rose, it's the end of June, and he's going to give us an update on gardening right now. You could hear in the background that we're getting some well-welcomed rain. So say hello, Jeffrey.
3: Hi, Rosie. Thanks for coming back to the farm. Uh, We've been talking about timing and how, how the garden year fits on the calendar. And now that our gardens are in, we have to get on the weeding. You know, you have to do it. If you don't like weeding, you don't like gardening. It's just part of it. It's when you get down there with the plants and you can see how they're doing and inspecting for bugs and insects and things. And certain vegetables need special attention with weeding. Uh, Your onions and shallots and leeks, you've got to keep them weeded. They won't grow to full maturity if they've got a lot of competition. It's also time, maybe depending on when you started them, to thin your carrots. Once they get to be a couple of inches tall, it's time to start pulling them out so that you have them only a couple inches apart, so that they have time to fully grow as well. And unfortunately, also on the clock are the bugs. So the flea beetles are starting to attack the eggplants, and we saw striped cucumber beetles just the other day hitting on our squash plants. So what we do here at the nursery and the farm is we use neem oil and spray them regularly, and when the bad bugs eat the neem, of course, that will uh, knock them down. And then we also apply beneficial nematodes to the soil, and that gives a larval attack on them as well. But now that it's raining, it's washing off all the neem oil, so we have to keep an eye on that, and when it stops, you have to spray them again.
0: I don't know about you, but most people are feeling that the rain is much welcome, the soil is bone dry, and uh, the plants are very happy with this, and your solution to pests, I know you practice organic standards.
3: I do, when we use a lot of insects. We use uh, integrated pest management, and that means we also release insects. We've ordered uh, some lacewing to release in the gardens here.
0: Yes, and I believe that neem oil also is a solution that's an organic solution.
3: Yes, that's what we spray on all of the leaves. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay, well, we'll check back in again. In the meantime, I hope your greenhouse is thriving. Everything looks so green and lush here right now. It's nice to hear the rain, and it's
3: nice to see you again. Thank you for coming, Rezi.
0: Wild Yarrow Farm has an Instagram page, a fabulous website, and is located on New Turnpike Road in Koscheckton, New York. And by the way, my gift of scented geraniums was well-received as a birthday present. We hope that you enjoyed our show this week with production by Radio Catskill volunteers Keith Hubbard and Stephanie Phillips. Special thanks goes to our guests, Seventh Generation, Ryan Erlewine from the Myers Century Farm in Jeffersonville, New York. Hannah Walters, Director of Producer Education from the Pennsylvania Beef Council, speaking to us at the Wayne County Agricultural Day on May 5th. And Jeffrey Rose from Wild Yarrow Farm in Coshecton, New York. This has been your host, Rosie Starr. Thanks for listening local to Farm and Country and supporting Radio Catskill. Public Radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. Listen on air at 90.5 FM, on your phone or smart speaker, or online at wjffradio.org. Keep in mind that farming country is moving to a new time on Saturday mornings, starting Saturday, July 8th. Tune in an hour earlier at 10 a.m. to hear a variety of topics about rural life in the Catskills and the Delaware River Valley. Support for Farm and Country comes from Damascus Citizens for Sustainability, a community supported, science based nonprofit taking legal actions. Providing tools for action and raising awareness of fracking damage since 2008. Proactively protecting public health in the Delaware River Basin and beyond. DamascusCitizens.org. Hey, it's Steve Inskeep. And I'm Ayesha Roscoe.
2: One of the things you can count on from NPR and this station, we've got your back. When it comes to reporting the news, bringing you facts you can count on. You can help by donating a vehicle you no longer need.
1: That car could be worth hundreds of dollars in support or more as a donation. Think about it. We accept any vehicle, running or not, including cars, trucks, boats, RVs, motorcycles, and more. Donate at WJFFradio.org. This week on Notes from America, Indigenous Affairs Report.